during the time I was uh, in Brazil, it, I, I noticed how fast some charismatic churches are growing, presenting an undisguised version of the gospel, the prosperity gospel. It's tremendous, the, the growth. They are on the radio, they are on TV. They are distributing uh, free newspapers to the, to the houses. And while I was stuck in traffic, going from my mom's to my mother-in-law's house there, I was listening to the, to the radio, and I purposely left on the station that one of the pastors from this church was talking. And he was saying, we want to prophesy that all who come to our service this evening and make a pact with God will be free of problems in 2023. All you have to do is obey. And then he, they would play interviews of people that I, a year ago made that pact and they, their financial problems are gone, their marriages are wonderful, they got rid of drugs and even one of the ladies said that her kid's soccer team was the, the champion of the tournament thanks to that pact. I think they forgot to pray about Brazil in the World Cup, but that's, uh, that's another story for another day. That, uh, and I was thinking, how man-centric is that message? That does not match the message that we, that we see in the Bible. And particularly, we are starting the, the book of Hebrews. Pastor Chris started last Sunday. We're going to go through the whole book that will take a good chunk of this. 2023, and if the whole Bible is Christ-centric, Hebrews does it particularly loudly. I mean, that's a book that points with all fingers towards Christ, towards his glory, to his majesty, to his supremacy. So it's going to be interesting. I was already studying Hebrews when I was listening to that on the radio, and I said, what a contrast. I mean, the Bible in its entirety is pointing to Christ. And unfortunately, those people were pointing to man being the center. And they were quoting Bible passages. It's not that hard. You take things out of context. I remember in one moment, they were uh, quoting Psalm 23, 1. And <laughs> the way they, they said it almost sounded like, the Lord is my servant, I shall not miss. I mean, they didn't say that word, but it almost sounded that that's what they meant because of the thing. And that's not at all what the, what the Bible says. And again, as I said, particularly loudly in the book of Hebrews. So uh, I would invite you to open your Bibles in the first chapter of Hebrews. We use the ESV version, so if you were doing from your device, make sure you bring that one up. We have a few extra Bibles in the back if you want to have one in the version that we use here. Uh, Pastor Chris started last Sunday with verses 1 to 3, and I'm starting with verse 4, but I will reread verse 3 because it's so good. I couldn't resist overlapping that a little bit. So let's go through this passage. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers flames of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, O Lord, lay the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your ears will have no end. And to which of the angels he has ever said, sit at my right until... I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits set out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that this morning we can freely open your word and search for your message for us. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to worship your name uh, this far in the, in the service. And now we want to hear your voice through your word, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to explore what this text meant to the original readers, what they mean today, and what they mean to each one of us uh, individually. It's a quite intriguing book, the book of Hebrews. They, as Pastor Chris said last, uh, last week, it was written at a time that persecution to the Christians was growing. Particularly the Jewish Christians were uh, feeling it very strongly and some of them were reverting back to the practice of the Judaism that uh, they were doing before. So this book has one very clear objective that the author is going to attack from different angles as we go through the chapters to demonstrate Christ's supremacy over everything, even the most cherished things by the Hebrews. Okay, that's kind of the summary of the book. And today we're going to cover the author's analysis of Christ's superiority to the angels. I read a sentence in one of the books I was uh, using uh, from a German theologian from the 1800s, Franz de Licht. He says like this uh, when he's talking about the book of Hebrews. The Old and the New Testaments are presented side by side. The moonlight of the Old Testament grows pale as the sunlight of the New Testament grows brighter. I love that because... Again, the Bible is not saying, oh, forget what you heard on the Old Testament or that was incorrect, uh, here is the new. No, 
We saw it dimly through the revelation of the Old Testament. Then the sun comes, like the first verse of Hebrews says, and brings the complete uh, revelation of God. So I like that. Now, the Jews had a great regard for angels. Uh, and I think it, over the years, it, it, it kind of wore out. We don't hear that much. And I think Donatello, the Italian painter, by making chubby babies with wings to represent angels, didn't do us a great favor about understanding what angels are, right? I mean, it's a, no, that's not, uh, that's not it. Actually, the reference in the Bible to angels bring a very different uh, picture, right? I mean, every instance when it's described people's, a man's reaction to an encounter with an angel, they were awestruck, they were terrified. I mean, I don't know what is the image of an angel, but it's, it, it's majestic to, to a point that uh, it, it's terrifying. We just studied Daniel as our previous uh, series, and, and there were a few situations where Daniel meets angels, he hears from them, he meets uh, Gabriel, and it's, it's powerful stuff, I mean, the descriptions and all that. Isaiah saw seraphims flying in the temple, and that was uh, a big vision that he had there. Abraham hosted angels uh, that looked like men. If we start the New Testament, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds encountered angels, bringing them uh, messages. So, the Jews had a clear understanding. The angels inhabit the heavens. Matthew 24, 36 for the note takers. They are God's ministers. Psalm 104, 4. They are powerful. Psalm 103, 20. So again, they had this very uh, high understanding of the angels. And that understanding per se is not Incorrect. The angels are powerful ministers of God. God used them many times. God can use them today for his purpose. He may be using you without us knowing in many cases. So, very important. We don't need to diminish, diminish angels to show Christ's supremacy. Because his superiority. I mean, you can leave angels at the right place that God's superiority will become obvious. Okay, we don't need to say, ah, oh, they are not important, so Christ takes the supremacy. You're going to see as we go through the text that that's, that's not the case. I will hesitantly share a story that I heard in 2011. I heard secondhand, but uh, it, it, it struck me, I'll share, take it with a grain of salt. Um, some of you may remember the, the tornado, the enormous tornado that hit Joplin, Missouri in, 19, in 2011. It was a class five multiple vortex tornado. Destroyed like 4,000 uh, houses, a lot of people died. And actually, it moved a nine-story hospital off his foundation. The hospital had to be torn down after that. Sheffer, the company I work for, has a plant in Joplin. The plant was not hit by the tornado, but some of the employees were in the area. They had their houses uh, destroyed. And there is a couple that they're back in, in Worcester now, but they were there for that period. 
their apartment building. They lived in the uh, floor level. The other level, the other floors were completely taken down. They suddenly had a convertible apartment that, that was nothing there. They, they came back very quickly to, to Worcester after that. But they shared a story that they heard also, so maybe I should say it's third-hand, the story that I'm relaying here, that a family, when the tornado was about to hit, they were looking for shelter in the house. I don't know if they had a basement or not, uh, whatever place. And they ran to that, and they left behind a four-year-old daughter. I think one of those the father thought the mother had, the mother thought the father had, and the tornado hit destroyed the house, so they desperately came out from wherever they were hiding. And the girl was at a corner near a, fire, a brick fireplace that was pretty much the only thing that was left in the house. And they asked the girl, how did you get there? And she said, this big man with uh, wings like butterfly put me here. Again, that's not scripture. Take that with a grain of salt. But I believe God can use, if he wants to, angels in today's uh, situations, okay? I am not sure about this one, but I know he has the power to do it. It's his choice to do it or not. So, I firmly believe that angels are real. On the other hand, I was struggling a little bit when I started studying this text. I thought, okay, I'm going to take 30 minutes to prove that Christ is superior to the angels. And Oaks Church will say, amen, because we knew that before I start the sermon. So I was thinking, okay, how can this impact our life, our relationship with God? And Pastor Chris, we were talking earlier in the week, he made a comment that became the, the missing link for, for my sermon. He said, the Jews understood the big chasm there is between us, man, and God. And as you know from the Old Testament, they were ultra respectful to the name of God and everything. So they felt they were not worthy of having a contact with God. So the angels become convenient mediators. I mean, hey, they, they live there near God. They are in between. So they, the concept of angels grew as kind of mediators. Okay, this, I can't, I can't relate a little more. They are between us and, and God. So, that's, again, the reason that the author of the book of Hebrews chooses to place six arguments to explain Jesus' superiority. And we're going to go uh, through them. So, again, please keep your Bible Bible's open there. Uh, we're not going to have time to go read the source of those verses. I will mention, when the author makes reference to the Old Testament, I'm going to mention the passage. So if you're, again, you'd like to take notes, take note, and you can verify uh, at home. I also added a few verses from the New Testament that also corroborate, they support the same concept that the author is talking about. So we're going to go through in an expository format, basically through the six arguments that the author uses there. So argument number one, he is called son. And verse five is the one that uh, 
brings uh, that, says, you are my son. That's a reference to Psalm 2.7, and right after that, uh, 2 Samuel 7.14. So the author is not planning to lose his audience attention here. He starts hitting hard. I mean, says, hey, to which of the angels he ever said, you are my son? So he starts by saying, we're not talking of the same level or the same class. It's something else here. Uh, Paul, in uh, his letter to the Romans, says, one, Romans 1.4, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So argument number one, yeah, Jesus Christ is superior to the angels. He is the son. Argument number two, he's worshipped by the, by the angels. In verse six, uh, let all God's angels worship him. Reference there in verse six to Psalm 97, seven. And in verse 7, reference to Psalm 104.4. We know in many places of the Bible, it's clear that only God is to be worshipped. We see, we see the apostles refusing being worshipped. We see angels refusing to be worshipped. Only God is to be worshipped. So, if the angels are worshipping Jesus, they are declaring he is God in, in, in their way. I'll make a parallel here. Jesus himself, when he's being tempted by the devil, he says, Luke 4, 8. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Okay, so second point, that the angels, by worshiping Jesus Christ, are declaring he is God. If you're not happy with that, the author comes with arguments 3 and 4. They appear together in verse 8. He is called God by God, and he's enthroned with God. Did you, did you see? Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Who's saying that? God. And he's saying, your throne, O God. So God is calling Jesus Christ God. He's 100% God, and God is declaring that. So if you're not happy with the, 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 the angels worshiping him and that meaning that he's God, oh, God is saying that. Actually, in the other verse, he calls him Lord. So God is calling Jesus Christ Lord. So, I mean, we could spend the rest of the day here discussing the doctrine of the Trinity, and probably would not be enough if we would do that uh, and in the same verse, it says that he is enthroned with, uh, with God. So it parallels John 1.1, 1, 1, one of my favorite references, and I'll use a few other verses from that chapter. But John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How can something be with something and be something? I don't know. That's the mystery of the unity and yet distinctive roles of the uh, members of the, of the Trinity. He was with God. He was God. That's there. I mean, it, it, in uh, Luke 1, 32 and 33, when the announcement of Jesus' birth is being made, we have the following. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, of his kingdom there will be no end. That way, you know who's saying that? Gabriel, an angel. The guy that talked to Daniel in our previous series, he's the one that's making that statement that the kingdom of Jesus will last forever. Argument number five, he is presented as the creator. In verse 10, we have, you, Lord, lay the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Again, angels are creatures. They were created. Christ is the creator. And the verse continues saying that all creation will pass, but he will last forever. Again, if I would have continued the chapter 1 of John, if I now go to John 1, verse 2 and 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We read that. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus Christ was with God, was God, was the creator from the beginning. Argument number six and the last one. He is invited to sit at the right hand of God. Verse 13, sit at my right hand. And that's a reference to Psalm 110.1. Jesus sits at the right hand of God. Romans 8.34. Romans 8 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Paul says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Okay. Those are the six arguments. I think they are proofs. I shouldn't even call arguments uh, of the superiority of the most excellent Son of Christ, like we call the uh, Son of God, like we call the, the message today. Now, as I mentioned before, the chasm between man and God, the angels have been perceived as mediators that. That still happens today. As you guys know, uh, I grew up in a Catholic country. My family was not Catholic, but I have been exposed to their doctrines. And more recently, in our Portuguese Bible study that I have, we have several uh, people that join our Bible study that are Catholics. I called Father Steve from St. Mary's here in Worcester to clarify a few things about the Catholic doctrine because I was discussing that with uh, the group there. And to a degree, Mary and the saints are viewed in a very similar light that we are talking that the angels were viewed by the, by the Jews. They are viewed as mediators and in between. I can't go to God. The chasm is too big. The, the, the distance is too big. I can't. I, I, I need a, a mediator. So I'll pray to Mary. Ask her to intercede with Jesus for me because I, I can't can't reach out to, to God. Um, do you know where, why the Jews needed that? A lot of people still feel that the chasm is too, too big because it's true. It is too big. It is too big for us to... We can't, we can't close that, that gap. We can't be, make ourselves worthy of being in God's presence. 
we have sin in our life that has separated us from, from God. There is this canyon between us and, and God. We can't fool ourselves here. I mean, we, we know we don't meet the expectations we set up for ourselves, much less what God, a perfect God, expects from us. We can't get to him. Our actions, our words, our thoughts disqualify us from a relationship with God. We, we can't. Well, so the, the idea of that big gap between us and God is real. The concept that we can't bridge that gap is also real. So that's bad news, right? Okay, God is too far for us to, to reach out. Well, fortunately, there is good news on the other side. God took care of that. God took care of that uh, gap. God took care of our need of a mediator by sending Jesus Christ, the one we are talking about, uh, the, the one that's so much bigger. I mean, that is the Son of God. He's God. He's to be worshipped. He's the creator. He was sent as a man to live here, to be Emmanuel, God with us. Then to pay the price for our sin, to make us acceptable to God. Remember last Sunday, we, we sang, to look at him and pardon me. Remember that part of the, the, the worship song from last Sunday? That's exactly what it is. God is looking at us. Jesus is there on the side. Okay, you're pardoned. <laughs> he paid for it. Okay, that's the concept here. So suddenly, we that were not worth to be in God's presence because of our sin, now we have a mediator provided by God, not that we developed or not by our efforts. Uh, we can't bridge that, that gap. We, we need him. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, this is made absolutely clear. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So, by the grace of God, Jesus Christ, 100% God, leaves his glory behind, incarnate as a man, lives as a man, dies to pay the ransom, the, the price for our sins. I mean, this blows our mind, right? I mean, this is, it's almost too much for our intellect to understand how can he be 100% God, 100% man, and his death pay for our sins. But that's, that's God's plan. That's how he designed it. So are you feeling that you are too far from God to have a relationship with him? Are you trying hard to clean up so you can be in, in a relationship with God. Bad news, it won't work. Are you looking for a mediator? There's just one, the one that God provided. There's no other uh, way. So I will go back to the first chapter of John. And if we look at verse 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, 
he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So there is a condition here to receive him, to believe in his name. At the end of uh, Peter's sermon at, in Pentecost, he, he's approached by the people that heard his sermon and were convicted. And they say, what should we do? And he says, repent and believe. So that's the message this morning that we need to understand. You need to understand. You are a sinner. That separates you from, from God. There's nothing you can do about that. That's the bad news. The good news is God took care of that. He sent Jesus Christ to be the one that can be our mediator. And now we can have a relationship with God. Be purified like the first verse we read uh, this morning. Verse 3 uh, says, so we are acceptable to be in God's presence. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning, for this power, powerful and convicting message, Lord. We confess that sometimes we, we try to take care of our inadequacy by other means, Lord. We want to confess that we understand that only your son is a worthy mediator that allows us to, to have this relationship with you, Lord. Be completing this message in our hearts this morning, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, that you may be working in the hearts of each person here, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.